It's meat. It's always been the meat. All meat, all the time. It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with the Brian Campbell. Back at it, pro wrestling. Back at it. Fired the hell up, folks. Why? Why, you ask? Because WWE may have soiled my bedsheet Sunday night with the safe card they gave us for SummerSlam. But my pro wrestling knobs have been well polished on Monday, Tuesday night, Monday morning. I feel like the last three days, it's been like Christmas morning as a wrestling fan. I got everything I ever could have wanted. No bread, no water, just meat. That's all he wants. That's all he needs. That's all I want in life. But we're going to stuff it down your throat. All the meat, all the time. Wow. I am so damn fired up. I said, hey, wrestling, I know what you have. I know what's in there. I need it. Either you reach in your pants, you whip it out, and you place it in my hand. Mick, this is network TV. So help me. I'll reach into your pants. I'll whip it out, and I'll stick it in your tail. All right, all right, Mick. Either way. There was a meat transaction, folks, and your boy BC is fired up to break it down with you. That's why you come to me, okay? I'm the meat dealer. I deal in beef, big beef, all the time. The beef (laughs) is back on the state of combat. You want to talk about a giant needle ready for insertion, or sorry, injection. Insertion would be a bad bad word in this case. Uh, Performance-enhancing audio. It's ready. We're time. It's it's time. If you like the show, spread it forward. Spread 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 your body. Whatever you got to do, spread it across the bread. Five star review. Apple Podcast, Spotify. Pay for this show, okay? Pay for this show the best way that you know how. Thanks, book. Thanks, book. Enough of that. Let me bring in my coast. Let's get right into it. Let's get fired. The heck up, folks. Say hello to the bad guy. Crown him. Crown him already. The king of this ring podcast has his own tournament. He's back. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now, BC, there's no bread. There's nothing to spread. Booker T said it best. No bread, no water, just meat. That's what we got. He don't want no water. He don't want no Adam, I, I said Christmas morning, okay? I, I, I respect if you celebrate Hanukkah. How about a Kwanzaa morning? Any morning. I celebrate, I celebrate Christmas. Yeah. Anything we ever wanted, we got great. this week. Monday and Tuesday night, PC, for and we say this, and man, like I try to tell you this occasionally on the pod when, we, when, when you're down, when you're depressed. WWE can be awful. It can be awful for six weeks, eight weeks at a time. But they are always capable of giving us five hours of television like we got on Monday and Tuesday night. It wasn't perfect. There were things that made you go, eh, or meh. But for the most part, you know, it's true. We got meat for five hours. Did you say they're not always there when you call, but they're always on time? I don't know if I agree with that. This is part of the inverted pyramid, which is send them home. Meh. Send them home, um, straight up blue ball them on a Sunday night. 
but lead them back to regular TV. Maybe that's because these TV deals are what drives the company nowadays, but good God. I mean, it's not that Monday and Tuesday were like the best nights ever of Raw and SmackDown, but it was like, oddly enough, specifically enough, they gave you and I exactly what we wanted. wanted. Heal Sasha Banks. The sex of Buddy Murphy. I mean, my dog, Sasha, I wasn't even with her and I could hear her barking. Wow. King of the Ring. They gave me a King of the Ring tournament, man. On top of that, by the way, (laughs) on top of that, NJPW G1 Climax 29 climaxed. I mean, what a time to be alive and a pro wrestling fan. Not even a week removed from NXT TakeOver Toronto, which we never fully were able to unwrap and peel back the onion. Let's just say this may be the most positive show in, in, in State of Combat history. What a time to be a fan. It's as if Sunday night, Adam, never happened. That's how you want it to be, BC. And you know what? I don't see any reason to waste any more time. So get those nim- nimble fingers ready because it's time to enter the main event. <laughs> And we'll see if you have another couple keystrokes ready too, BC. Because I just got two words for you. Buddy Murphy. I thought you were going to go with something grosser than that, but uh, I'll take it. From the moment we saw him, we thought, sex. Um, Adam, he was a bitch last week. He, well, he may have been a bitch again this week, but he was my bitch this week. He was a bitch last week and a snitch. <laughs> and now he's like a main event superstar he's almost everything we ever wanted him to would you think alexa bliss was watching that match she must be like what is going on in my life i need that yeah alexa's depressed she better be i mean bc when we talk about putting over new talent allowing guys to shine what roman reigns did for buddy murphy what wwe as a whole allowed buddy murphy to do by booking that match in that way, and not just the match, which was fantastic. And we can talk about the V triggers and the stiff knees and the flip o- the tope con hilo over the over the top rope, which wasn't even a tope con hilo. He flipped his entire body, you know, upside down. It was sick. The way he took the spear, another 360 revolution on that. Um, and forget all of that. The way Roman Reigns treated him after the match with the like sly smile, like. Man, this kid's got it. I well, he saw I the pecs. Him. Look at that guy's pecs. He's hitting V triggers during the match and Vagine triggers afterwards. This guy's a stud. <laughs> well, I can tell you one thing. He ain't 205 anymore. Not that he ever was, but he certainly added, you know, 15, 20 pounds. But Brian, they did what we ask them to do all the time. We say, hey, you guys have a Buddy Murphy. You have a Chad Gable. You have a Cedric Alexander. Not everyone's always going to get over, right? Buddy Murphy didn't even win the freaking match. But they put him over as this is a legitimate guy who you need to watch out for, who gave Roman Reigns one of his best matches in the entirety of his WWE career. What else do we have? I thought when I was when I was uh, prompting you earlier, I thought we were getting sirens and uh, engine revs. I didn't think we were going with the Sasha, you know, bark. But still, yeah, BC, if you watch that match and you didn't think sex then there's something wrong with you as a professional wrestler. Wow, wow. Here's a piece of meat I know Adam will enjoy. Um, You're right. Look, uh, it's as if WWE was listening to this podcast and picking out the specific 
things that we cry about the most. And then we're like, you know what? Let's throw these guys a bone. Let's create for these guys and enhance their own bone. Let's do things that other like, wow, Buddy Murphy showed you in that match. And it was a great TV match because both sold out. It was physical. It was stiff. It was like everything that you knew Buddy Murphy, which is like WWE's version of Kenny Omega, could do. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and complain at all that he didn't win because he basically won by the way they presented him. And by the way, Roman was willing to sell for him in terms of moves and in terms of facial gestures. And I'm not even going to be dampered at all, Adam, by other people that came at me and were like, okay, cool, cool story, bro. But then you bitched out again when you snitched out in the locker room afterwards to Ronan Bryan because they're telling a larger story here in the whodunit Roman Reigns thing that is working, that it that has layers and details to it. But the fact that they came back to Buddy Murphy here and said, hold on a second. We got something here. We're going to try it. We're going to see it. See if he can do it. He delivered. Uh, yes, they can ruin him from here and go 50-50 all they want, but we got our moment. We got our moment in time. I don't know if it's because Buddy never went through NXT, so Vince never had a reason to hold a grudge against him and his son-in-law. He was, oh, he was a tag team in NXT. Oh, that's true. He was. Blake he and Murphy. Alexa. Wow, isn't that interesting? Because I obviously knew that. But he's yet been so it's, far removed. It's so far it. removed, it's as if yeah. he's a completely new creation. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's a poignant moment right there. Um, Vince Theory notwithstanding, I, I hope this wasn't one of those... And we can talk about Cedric Alexander in a second, but like one of those, okay, let's give this cruiserweight some shine. And then again, he can go back to job into the Ascension next week. I hope that they really saw what we saw. I hope those looks from Roman Reigns were, were, were telling enough because damn, this guy, and what an evolution. Damn, this guy screams things in the ring that he just didn't show in that tag team. Something happened. I don't know if it's he put on the performance enhancing headphones for a while. Ico, bro, I don't know what happened. He's got the largest pecs in the world. Something happened where he turned into a freaking superstar. Maybe it was time in the bosom of, of the great Alexa Bliss that main evented him. I don't know if he became a man in that relationship, but he became a man on the screen on Tuesday. What the hell am I talking about? Let's just sit here and enjoy. I'm just mar- I'm just spilling fluids on the <laughs> keypad right now. What a time to be alive, guys. There's something deeper that happened here, Adam. Dude, they were chanting his name. The crowd was chanting his name. Why am I so oddly excited? Because I'm a weirdo? Yes. Because my dog's favorite wrestler is Buddy Murphy? Yes. But most importantly, because I felt like one of our guys got picked from the group and noticed, right? Like, we heard Jimmy early. We saw Jimmy. We tasted it. Jimmy, you were in our mouths, brother. And now, finally... The world, the world, the world. You know, it's like that local indie band that we love is now ready to take over the world. And we helped him get there. Did we help Buddy Murphy get there? Did my dog help Buddy Murphy get there? What just happened? No, we we did. But it's like, yeah, if you grew up like in Jersey, like in the 80s or whatever, and you heard Bon Jovi, right? Like at the local bars, and you're like, man, this band, they have something to him. You listen to Howard Stern and he features them on once in a while. And then all of a sudden you're living on a damn prayer, right? And and you're hearing these songs, number one on the radio. That's what it felt like. It felt like, man, we've been talking about this guy 
for 18 months, Brian, and maybe even a little bit longer than that, saying this is the guy. This is WWE's version of Kenny Omega, and not so much that he can be better, but maybe he's better for WWE than Kenny Omega would have been for WWE. And then we they, they pr- promote him up to SmackDown, and we're like, oh my God, it's happening. This is great. And then it's like four months where he's not even on television. The only time he ever shows up is between commercial breaks for like the local audience. And we're waiting and we're waiting and they give us a taste of it on that Shane McMahon special, uh, the, the, the town come hall. to Jesus meeting, whatever you want to call it. Um, town hall. Sure. And nothing happens. And you're like, Oh, maybe he'll use him as a dastardly heel as part of his stable and nothing happens. And they finally get him involved. And, and you, and we're kind of like, Oh man, they kind of made him look like a bitch to Roman. I really hope there's, they do something. Maybe they'll have a match at some point and they give it to us. Tuesday, right after SummerSlam, right when BC's at his lowest. Oh my God, they didn't. Oh my God, they didn't put the Roman angle on SummerSlam. What are they, what are they doing? Well, and Silver King right comes there. in and says, "BC, maybe they're trying to get us to watch SmackDown no, no, on no, Tuesday night." And what did they do? Thing. They delivered with Roman, yeah. Daniel Bryan, Rowan, and Buddy Murphy. I refuse Tuesday. to let you, in some form, take credit for telling me that you know, like the like to wait, like maybe they'll still give us what we want. Because I could sit here and argue. Why wasn't this on SummerSlam? Because, look, say what you will about what we always tell them they push Roman Reigns down our throat. Adam, Roman Reigns is healthy right now. It's 2019, and he didn't have a match or a major moment on SummerSlam. I think there's something wrong with that, to be honest with you. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think. So would it have hurt them to have had this match on Sunday night? But do we need to second guess this? And I'm not like, going. We second guess everything they do. I'm just you know? saying it it, it. it was so good on Tuesday night that I'm almost to the point of like, why? Like, what would have been the hurt? Imagine the. And I know you could say, well, they wanted to tease it ahead of Tuesday as a ratings grab, and that's possibly true. But the performance from Buddy and the match itself, and Roman's willingness to sell, knowing that he's still going over, but that he's bringing somebody up with him, it would have been perfect for SummerSlam. It really would have. But- let me tell you this. I think it goes back to what I said before SummerSlam. The build was rushed. It was super short. The Raw reunion and that week of BSTV really screwed things up. Had they begun building SummerSlam two weeks earlier than they actually did, I think this would have happened on SummerSlam. But the, the schedule, the timeline got really screwed up. Let's not forget, they had matches, two matches built for SummerSlam. They ran on TV because they didn't feel like they had enough space on the card. They, put, they gave us a kickoff show that did not exist until Sunday. On SummerSlam. So I think things were screwed up. But Brian, you know what? I don't really care. I got this match Tuesday yes. night on SmackDown. I'm super happy. Now, I'm going to say, I liken this very much, and it wasn't exactly the same because I don't think Buddy Murphy is going to be John Cena. But I liken this very much to the Kurt Angle, John Cena match that they had Ooh, on SmackDown all aggression. those years ago. What? Ruthless aggression. That's a good That's a good comparison. Yeah, where where Angle put uh, Angle put Cena over. Here's the difference. I tweeted it. People disagreed with me. I don't think they understood what I was saying. They doubled down on John Cena because when he went to the locker room, when he went backstage, he had passed by the Undertaker. He gave him that head nod, the handshake, the pat on the chest, and is like, "Hey, kid, you're the real deal, right?" With Buddy, I almost wish he went backstage and like Orton was standing there and gave him like just a. Doesn't have to be a handshake. He's a heel, but a head nod of like, I see it. You know, I see it in you. 
and then you can do the backstage thing with Daniel Bryan and Rowan, right? But instead, they had Murphy kind of take it from Rowan, get thrown all over that locker room. I don't think it diminished what happened in the ring. I just would have liked to have seen them double down and and fully acknowledge how good Murphy was, as opposed to then just using him back into the Brian story. I agree. You know? there, there's a little bit of fear in there, and I want to I want to get your take in a second on where that Brian Roman thing is going. But to close on Buddy, look, your your mortal rival Bob Backlund at Talkbox DM me and was like on all caps. You willed this to happen. And while I'm not going to be corny and try to take some cosmic credit for it, I do stand by my optimism. When they teased Buddy as the potential to be part of that, I went out on the edge of that of that uh, that plank, and I was willing to walk in and stand out there and say, "Go ahead, break my heart, but I want this to be Buddy Murphy. I need this to be Buddy Murphy. I hope this is Buddy Murphy." In a weird way, it was Buddy Murphy. I know that storyline's going to keep going. We don't know how that's going to end. But they didn't forget us, Adam. They did not forget us. And I just hope this is the beginning of, of, of a lot, of a lot coming for Buddy. I hope this is the beginning. And we've had our Australian listeners, Mick Johnston, sliding in, saying it times in perfectly with the SmackDown roster tour coming to Australia. Hopefully it's even more than that, though, Adam. So we did get a couple uh, tweets about this, uh, Chad. Plus Kina at I don't exaggerate, which is a good handle last name. Maybe not so great. Uh, he quoted Corey Graves on SmackDown. He said on the night, Buddy Murphy was accused of being a liar. He showed that he was the truth, which is great. He also shouted out Shoemaker saying um, you can tell whether or not a guy is going to look good when he goes up against the WWE's best Roman Reigns, obviously being them. That's certainly true. We also had Brian Farkas at B Fark 17. Even if state of combat wrestling show opens with five straight minutes of sirens, it won't be enough. Buddy effing Murphy. Hit a siren. We have, we don't even have any going right now. I Let's mean, go. it's just, it feels so good. Ah! There we go. Oh. And we also had uh, Eric at Rib Sauce. Myself and the rest of the listeners of SOC have known it for over a year. Brian and Adam talk about how great you are. He was, he's saying that he sent this to Buddy Murphy. Uh, Brian and Adam talk about how great you are every damn week. You got to go on their show. Uh, well, I can tell you, Eric, interview request has been sent. So hopefully, wow. we get, hope, hopefully we get Buddy Murphy on the show sooner than later. Will we make uh, but, out with him? That's the only question of how far that interview will go. Because th- we, we <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll become his agent. Maybe it's maybe it's time to it take work. that step forward. Um, Adam, we saw the evolution of that storyline, though. And I think this is really interesting where they're going. They got Buddy Murphy to, ad- I think, admit that he was lying, right? That's well, what... uh, but again, the first one was under duress anyway, so maybe this was under duress also. I kind of feel that way. I think it's still ultimately going to be Brian or Rowan or Luke Harper, possibly. Oh, or some, wow. See, or I someone else coming out of a, NXT, maybe. I thought I you were know. going in a different direction. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, you all bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. It, um, it would be cool. Honestly, it would be cool if it was Shane. I know we want Shane off our TV, and we will talk about oh, that a little bit later. Wow. But it would be cool if when Rome – don't forget, Roman came out and was like – he walked away during that town hall when Shane like was trying to say, hey, it's an open conversation. Roman's like, screw you, walks away. It would be really cool if this whole thing was Shane and everyone's covering for him and Buddy's scared to say Shane, so he says Rowan. 
and blah, 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 and it ends up being Shane. I just don't think they're going to go in that. But what's the end game? Is the end game a Daniel Bryan feud? Because if that's where we're headed, that's fantastic. I do think that would be the end game of that. But let's not forget, uh, Shane has the clean win over Roman, which is still astounding. And Roman never got him back for it. So maybe they go with that through the Rumble, then Bryan afterward. I, I don't know where they're going, man. It's It's really up in the air, but that's the whole freaking point. The whole point is I want to watch SmackDown last week. Yes. Next week. Next week, I'm sorry. Because Daniel Bryan is promising to reveal something. I'm down. This is very Attitude Era. This is what we want. All right. Quick little uh, extra DM slide on Buddy. There's so much Buddy. I didn't even write down these DM questions. Kentucky Long Rifle. It is John. Uh, Black Saber Jr. At underscore Black Saber Jr. Love this man. He got jobbed out of the Rushmore. Agreed. Right? Right? By you, yeah. Okay. Um, he says, badass Billy Gunn to your head. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> who will end up having the better 2019? You ready for this, Adam? Buddy Murphy or Kenny Omega? Wow. Ooh, that's tough. Because here's the thing. Omega's not in the title picture as AEW is starting. Obviously, he has the Moxley match. His only match of 2019 that really is... Honestly, even the Chima match, like it was good. It wasn't incredible. So right now, maybe it's Murphy already. You you said after that show that that match was incredible. It was the best match on the show. It's it's maybe maybe the best match AEW has put together with the exception of Cody and and Dustin. And that was more feel spot than anything else. That wasn't really in ring. It was the best in ring match they had had. Um, but it's but it doesn't compare to his NGPW matches, right? So 2019 for Omega so far has been much of a wasteland, and it's because of they haven't had shows, right? He does have an opportunity with Moxley, August 31st coming up later this month. That would be huge. But we don't know what they're going to be doing with Kenny Omega for the rest of the year. So I, I would I would still if I was making odds, I would give Omega two to one, Murphy, you know, eight to one. Um, but that's not a hundred to one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope again, final time. I'll say that I hope buddy's booking only goes forward from here. I mean, I'd really be interested in having some more buddy days in my future. No, I did not bang buddy. <laughs> not yet. Wow. That got weird. Okay, Adam. All right, BC. So uh, we, we might as well just before we move on parallel this. Uh, with what happened on SmackDown, which was we got a very similar, both in uh, the the matchup and the result match in Roman Reigns, Buddy Murphy, to Drew McIntyre, Cedric Alexander. McIntyre won. Alexander looked incredible. Even the finish was almost identical in McIntyre hitting the Claymore on Alexander, who does like the 180 flip, lands face first on the mat, and they pin him. What it was identical. It was identical, which I did. But it was good. It was, but I hate when it's identical. I hate when they do I that, know. whether it's rolling out the two female factions that were exactly the exact same. What was it? The uh... Apollo Crews and Cedric got pushed the yeah. same week. And... Um, but look, you got to yeah. love this match because they gave Cedric the shine he deserves. And Drew McIntyre, like Roman, sold his ass to make Cedric look like a star. They did my favorite wrestling move in the world, the Spanish Fly. And yep. Drew had to really sell that to to really make that full flip happen. 
damn, I love that moment. So this is good. This is good. It's like we didn't forget about you. Uh, uh, wow, I forgot his name. Who we're talking about again? That's Cedric. Cedric. Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah. We didn't forget about you in the dark. I also feel at home, Cedric. By the way, did you notice they changed Buddy Murphy's entrance music? No, to what? Uh, some typical rock song. Uh, Not as good. All right. Yeah. yeah. It was disappointing. All right, BC. Uh, that wasn't the only great thing that happened on WWE TV this week. And to be honest with you, on most other podcasts, they probably would have led with this. Yeah, we're weirdos, though. So we led with Buddy Murphy. We're but weirdos. yeah, can we come back to the sound drop one more time of good Lord? <laughs> Adam, heel boss, it happened. Yeah, legit boss, Sasha Banks is back with indigo colored hair. Uh, Brian, I don't think it was a perfect segment. The natty stuff, eh, you know, kind of got me a little cringe. I don't like using that word, but again, it kind of was. But still, the ultimate, the ultimate end of that, what we saw, Sasha Banks beating the holy hell out of Becky Lynch. Okay, the be- the yeah, it was an interesting transition with the with the uh, natty stuff, and I like it because they were willing to play on death, and you know Jim the Anvil Nightheart's in in heaven or hell or somewhere in between, loving that. So it's like loved it. Um, yeah. The only thing I didn't like though about that, my biggest problem was when Sasha arrived, and obviously they hit her music at an awkward point, but they did it on purpose. But right when she arrived, Natty didn't – Natty wasn't like, well, why are you here? Natty instantly was like, oh, hey, let me hug and kiss you. You're back. No, Natty. You were on the verge of crying and talking about a dream you had about your dead dad, and the damn boss, heal or not, interrupted it. Obviously, Sasha repaired that moment by brutally beating her. Stiff-ass work. And you know what? Outside of that, everything about that was yes. near perfect. Corey Graves, who we rightfully gave credit for selling the ish out of Buddy Murphy being legitimate, was channeling his inner Jesse the Body Ventura and or Bobby the Brain Heenan on the best level he's ever done to put over with raw, real emotion to the point where I almost got worked in his hatred of Sasha. And how did I get worked? I'm starting to conduct um, experiments in my head for booking going... Well, he is having relations with Carmella in real life. Are we setting up for a Carmella <laughs> Sasha feud here? Is he mad at Sasha for a reason? He nailed it. Perfectly illustrated her character with that heel turn. And then look, we're back to where we belong, which is NXT Sasha Banks as a heel, the real boss. Revisit her collaboration there in twenty fourteen and fifteen, where she just had the swagger that this is why I fell in love with Sasha Banks originally in NXT. I've said this story before. First couple times I saw her, I go, who the heck is this skinny chick who doesn't look like a wrestler that just carries herself like she's the baddest ass in the world? And then eventually you fall for that and you realize, damn, she can also really work and she owns this character and the the sexiness of the swagger becomes the meat in it. It becomes like... I can't get right. enough of the way she carries herself. And that's why she was never the same as a baby face. And then when the booking really started to become troublesome, 
it fell off the cliff. This is a return to what makes her great, and you could see in the way she carried herself that she had missed that for so long. I almost love that they allowed her to stay out this long and allowed her to be kind of a crybaby on social media in the meantime and built up this, is she going to leave or she's going to not? In that whole regard, everything was just perfect. It just felt great. Now she needs the booking to make it all matter and work, but tell me you popped for how stiff those shots were on both Natty and Becky. It was incredible. So I want to start just with the bad and then go to the good. The bad's very, very small. The the crowd, this Toronto crowd, booed faces all week, right? You have Natty out in the ring talking about her dead father. And they're, they boo, up until she mentioned that, they were booing her. And then she's like, well, this is the one-year anniversary of my dad's death. And they didn't like cheer, obviously, because that would have been inappropriate. But they just barely stopped booing. And then just as the crowd barely stopped booing, they hit Sasha Banks music and Michael Cole, who was trying to intro her as excitement that she's back, didn't take into account that we were just talking about Natalia's father being dead. There's like, <laughs> it's boss time. And oh my God, Sasha Banks is back. And it's just like, maybe tone it down 50%. You can still be excited. It's her, but realize the situation you're in. That's, that's out of the way now. Everything else from that to me was great. Sasha coming out and hugging the kid in the most perfect, like, oh, no, I'm still a face. I love you. You know, so nice that you're wearing my shirt type of thing. And then going into the ring and turning on Natty. Also, not just coming out in the indigo hair, having the wig of the old Sasha Banks on, ripping that off and being like, no, I'm new. I'm the HBIC. And by the way, Sasha's always been the HBIC. Like Mia Yim, cool gimmick and like nicknames fine. But you've never been that. Sasha is that. That's what the boss is. That's what the legit boss always has been. So for her to dominate Natty that way, who was already selling an injured arm, cool. Natty gets a little bit of time off. She can sell that more. Having Becky come back out and reassert herself as a face, even though you know she was a face in the Natty feud, but people thought she was trying to be healed, whatever. She reasserts herself as a face by trying to save Natty, who she just had a great match with at SummerSlam. And then you have Sasha beat the holy hell out of her with a chair. Man, it was more than we could have asked for. It was better, probably, than any of the other returns we fantasy booked at Stomping Grounds or any of the other pay-per-views would have been. Now, the thing that you can say is, could they have done this at SummerSlam? And the answer really is yes. Because they could have done the same thing. They had the match. Have Natty grab the mic. This is the one-year thing. Becky, thanks for a great match. They shake hands. Sasha comes out. Maybe Becky walks to the back. Sasha comes out, beats the hell out of Natty. And they could have done that on the Sunday night big show in front of a packed crowd as opposed to a half-full crowd for a SmackDown. But this is picking nits here. I'm just citing how it could have been slightly better. BC, you're the one who on our post-show, the bedsheets were dirty even though you said they weren't when we began. You said, you know what? They bring Sasha back out on Monday doesn't really mean much. Do you take that back after what they did? Did they did they change your opinion of that? Okay, they did uh, because it was great. And and like I said, like, okay, not perfect, but left me with a perfect feeling in terms of how strong she came across. And that's what you want. And by the way, I mean, you're telling me we're going to plug in Sasha Banks versus Becky Lynch right now to get us through the fall and into the into the new territory with the launch of AEW and the real competition and Fox and all that. This is fantastic. But again, it's that inverted 
pyramid. It's the new world we live in where you're not pointing toward the pay-per-view to get pay-per-view sales. Yes, you want people to subscribe to your network, but the true money is not through pay-per-view. That's not the backbone. The true money are the giant TV contracts, so they save the great stuff for TV. And here's the problem, Adam. The great stuff should be on the pay-per-views. It should always be on the pay-per-views. And then you should be forced and challenged to do even better on Monday and Tuesday night. Or if not better, take the big giant moment from Sunday and start to unravel it and and extend the branches out and stretch it out a little and go deeper. Those moments belong on, on Sunday night. And it's one thing. And this is the, the, the again, the meat of, of Sunday night show, which a lot of people hit us and we're like, again, you guys with this or again, BC with this. Crap. No, not yet. You're going to ruin guys. my, you know, enjoy. I got a lot of texts from friends who listen to these shows going, you know, what do you expect, dude? It's SummerSlam. <laughs> what the hell do you think I expect? This ain't backlash. Okay. Well, so the idea of am I okay that it happened on Raw? No. Sasha should have come out on SummerSlam because you want to look back on 29. 29- so SummerSlam has a history and a tradition to the point where I can pick out specific years and go, that's the time this happened. I should be able to pick out 2019 in my head and go, oh, that's the year Sasha came back and kicked ass. It shouldn't be. Oh, that show sucked, but the next night on Raw, man, they really nailed it. Adam, it's a little bit too lazy, and I think you can still have your cake and eat it too if you challenge yourself. So you have Sasha come back on Sunday and beat ass, but then on Monday she explains why. Is it that hard? Is it really that hard? Well, uh, here's the thing. I don't mind her coming back on Monday after SummerSlam because the post-Mania, post-SummerSlam shows are supposed to be about returns, shocking surprises, and new storyline directions. So I'm okay with that. The thing is, SummerSlam on Sunday wasn't good enough to allow this to be on Monday. So what you want is your pay-per-view to be so good that you say, you know what, if they did that Sasha Banks thing on Sunday, it would have been too much. It's good that they did it on Monday. That's what you want to happen. You want to be able to say that. The problem is they didn't give us enough at SummerSlam, so we badly wanted something like the Sasha Banks thing to help fill the coffers of Milk of Marknesia on Sunday night. So for that reason, maybe it would have been better Sunday. But I had zero issue with it being Monday. And honestly, like I said, the last three pay-per-view previews we've done, we said, hey, here's how Sasha's going to come back this time, definitely. Here's how we're going to book it. And all three times we got not swerved because they didn't they didn't really you know give us any reason to think so. But that was a surprise Monday night. On If it happened at the pay-per-view, it really wouldn't have been as much of a surprise. Well, let me ask you a question regarding to that. Re- stuck on that. And that's what you are, Sasha. You're just a one-night stand. I want a two-night stand with Sasha. Wow. <laughs> okay. I want her on Sunday and Monday, and here's why, Adam. When you invert the pyramid, yet you still spend four weeks a month pointing people toward a pay-per-view. Right. So they've inverted the pyramid, yet they're still using the old structure. What do I mean by that? They spend four weeks of every month in instructing you to watch that pay-per-view and building toward that pay-per-view, yet then they neuter the pay-per-view to a certain degree to try to spin you toward the following Monday and Tuesday night. That's messed up. That's not acceptable. If that's the way it is, 
then put those matches on Raw and SmackDown and get rid of pay-per-views and just jack up well, your TV. And I don't know if not going to happen because then there would be no value in the network outside of the archives. I get that. But if you can't, what I'm saying is you can't do that. You can't take away from the value of your pay-per-views. Yeah. Even if it's not your financial backbone anymore, it's still the idea of seeing feuds consummated, of getting two night stands with Sasha so you can consummate with her. You can do that if you book like they did, to be fair, with the Roman Reigns storyline, where you say some of these feuds are going to end at the pay-per-view that you have to watch, and some of them you need to keep watching on television because they're going to consummate at the next pay-per-view. By having two rosters, which they need to go back to doing, a true brand brand split, and this many superstars, you need to be able to develop storylines that will simultaneously take place during pay-per-views and go through pay-per-views to the next one. That is how you succeed at doing what you are saying. It's the inverted pyramid, but it still works in that regard. WWE, to their credit, and probably by accident, is doing that with Roman Reigns. We are going to see, we think, whatever the match ends up being at Clash of Champions that we didn't get at SummerSlam. And you know what? If they give us a six-week build to a really damn good match at that pay-per-view, it's probably going to be worth it than a two-week quick build to a throwaway match at SummerSlam that we know Reigns would have won and then just going into a different storyline on Tuesday night. So for me, I was happy with it, BC. Wow, a lot of talk about consummation on this show. I am sick of boogers and bathroom humor and semen. Yeah, me too. Let's get into serious wrestling. All right, Cameron? All right, well, you want to talk about serious wrestling? Okay, I got four letters for you. K-O-T-R. WWE's bringing back the Silver King's favorite. It's only been the entirety of this podcast that I've been begging them to bring it back. The damn King of the Ring. It ret- I want it as a pay-per-view, you guys know. I at least want the semis and finals on a pay-per-view with the name King of the Ring or a real network special. But if we're not going to get that, let's at least get this, BC. 16 superstars, 8 on Raw, 8 on SmackDown competing for the title of King of the Ring. WWE has given us zero information. We don't know how many matches are happening on shows. We don't know if the finals are going to be at Clash of Champions. We don't have any information. The only thing we do know are the 16 superstars competing. And BC, I don't know that we could have picked 16 better superstars to put in this KOTR who is tournament. In it? Can you tell me who's in it? Do you have that list? I you? got you. I got you. Yes, I do. On Raw, Ricochet, The Miz, Cedric Alexander, Drew McIntyre, Cesaro, Sami Zayn, Baron Corbin, and Samoa Joe. On SmackDown, Elias, Kevin Owens, Chad Gable, Andrade, yes. Shelton Benjamin, Buddy Murphy, Ali, and Apollo Cruz. Who's missing? Buddy Murphy. I said his name. He's in this? I just said it. I had no idea he was in this until now. The last three names I just said, Buddy Murphy, Ali, Apollo Cruz. Oh, my God. They really went for everyone, it. Everyone is in this. Now, yeah, of course, some champions aren't in it. You got no Shinsuke, obviously. You don't have AJ Styles or, or Rollins or any of these guys. They're champions. They don't need to be in it. They picked. Maybe you can nitpick one or two. Um, no, Baron Corbin, great. I like. I actually like. I actually like Baron Corbin in this. Right, Elias. I don't really like him, but maybe fine for this. You can nitpick the sixty names in here. They did it right. This is going to be freaking incredible. Um, I got to ask you, what is winning the King of the Ring? What is it going to mean in twenty nineteen compared to what it meant 
when there were less world titles and it was, you know, at, at the time when Stone Cold Steve Austin won it, it was it was almost like a tryout, you know, like like to to see if this guy can, can can get over with this and can we put a real title on him. And I know you'd already won the title as the ringmaster, but you know what I'm saying. It's certainly it, like a yeah. a on deck circle for something big. Does it mean the same thing potentially in 2019 or is it more to recognize workers? Well, it matters. It depends what WWE lets it mean. You know, I don't know if it was me, if Silver King was booking it, it immediately vaults someone into a upper mid card level where they get to compete for the Intercontinental or U.S. title and or lay in wait a little bit for a world title program six months down the line. That's what it's really supposed to do. It's when when the King of the Ring was actually working, which was like 96, which I think was the Austin year, but 96 to like. 2000 or 2002 it was kurt angle brock lesnar edge we mentioned austin it was wwe elevating guys who were either on the come up or needed that extra boost and said we are going to take this guy and make something out of him right where they really screwed up is coming out of 2002 when they stopped it as an annual pay-per-view and they started doing it on tv and and really really bastardized it and yes, they did give it to King Booker off the bat, and that worked because Booker makes everything work, and Charmel was with him. And the King Booker, that whole gimmick really was cool. But then they had like Bad News Barrett win it. They had Sheamus Stop win that. it, and Sheamus don't no. There would not be any Bad News Barrett timeline. Uh, uh, it's not him. They did nothing with it. Is the point? Sheamus won it. He had already been WWE champion. It was just it meant nothing. So if they can make this mean something and go back to giving it the legitimacy and forget the King blank name and this, I said this on the show like three weeks ago. I talk about this every week. No scepter, no cape, maybe just a crown, right? Get away from the gimmickiness of it and allow the winner of this. First of all, let every match be sick. Let this be your version of the G1 on TV. You know, you're not going to be NJPW, but allow these guys, allow the eventual Andrade versus Ali match to be sick. Allow the Apollo Crews Buddy Murphy match to be sick. Let these guys show the audience what they can do. Let them get themselves over and allow these the winner, the ultimate winner, to be someone that you actually want to elevate. If they give this to freaking Baron Corbin or Elias, right. shame on them. Because right. there's about eight other dudes who could win this. Ali being one, Ricochet, Buddy Murphy, allow Chad Gable, allow one of these guys to win it. And actually elevate their career and mean something in WWE. You really Thank just you. nailed it. You nailed it all the way around of the potential fears. Like it should go to somebody who's almost ready for a monster push like an Andrade where you you use it to really give him some identity and elevate him and get him ready for, for the, the big title level. But we're going to find out fairly quick, Adam, I think – how much they care about it. Is it, is it a quick gimmick thing to make raw matches feel more important or are we going to book and present this differently? Like we did the cruiserweight classic. And obviously that was completely different as it was almost an NXT production and it was on the network and you had a separate announced team and separate feel. But while one guy is going to win this and get the push, there's no reason why workers, extremely great workers like a Chad Gable, like a Buddy Murphy, shouldn't exit this tournament as their own potential of budding stars because they were allowed to have constant mini classics. So I don't need count outs. I don't need faction interference. I don't need any of that ish. 
No BS. Give me the meat. Do it. This is a shot in the arm for Raw and SmackDown if this is going to be a week-to-week thing that we build closer to. Yeah, I mean, if they do something with Elias and Kevin Owens and they have Shane Chi to let Elias beat Owens, I'm okay with that. Like, if you want to inject one or two things that will push storylines of guys who are not legitimately going to win this tournament, I'm fine with that. But you need to then come back. Let's say they do that with Elias and Kevin Owens. You need to then allow Chad Gable to beat Elias in the next round. Eliminate Elias and Owens, let them go have their feud in their match, and then let Gable advance. So that's how you have to do this tournament, BC. You've talked about it often. That, um, And every time you bring it up, my answer is King of the Ring. But you say, look, what we really want is for matches that we get on Raw and SmackDown to mean something. That doesn't mean they have to be title matches, but they have to go towards an end. And in this case, with three more weeks until Clash of Champions, my guess is they're going to do X matches on each show and then either do the finals or the semis in the finals at Clash of Champions. But allow these matches to mean something on your shows. Give them the time that they need to actually get all these guys over and let the King of the Ring mean something because otherwise you're bringing it back for no good reason. But I got to be honest, the way they presented it, the way they've advertised it over Raw, and SmackDown, they mentioned it like three times in each show. To me, it feels like a big deal. And that's all I can want. I mean, Brian, we we got Buddy Murphy, Cedric Alexander, Sasha Banks, and the damn King of the Ring. In what universe could I be happier right now? I know, in a two-day span. And yeah. like I said, during that same two-day span, we got the G1 final, which is almost an afterthought in this show. Because of a lot, because wrestling's so good right now, honestly, because it's it's wild. I mean, this is insane. But if you are looking for a good play-by-play man for King of the Ring matches, let me introduce you to this guy. <laughs> It'll never happen, but that's the guy that should be called. We got. I don't know if you did. I, we got some nice notes for the Morrow. It wasn't meant to be a tribute, but the Morrow. Uh words that we had to say Sunday night. Oh, so I, I was happy those, about that. But, but um, I'm team yeah, that's okay. all the way. Thank you. All right. What do we got? What else? What else you got for me? Anything? Well, you know what, BC? We do we do have a couple other WWE notes to do. We actually have the NJPW G1 Climax 29 to talk about and NXT TakeOver Toronto. I know you guys are still waiting for all that, but you're just going to have to wait a minute longer, BC, because we need to hear a quick word from our friends and sponsors. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, BC, we are back. And like I said, let's talk a little bit more WWE TV before we get into anything else. What do you think about uh, AJ Styles and the OC basically coming out? Styles is still the U.S. champion targeting Seth Rollins. Is this the direction they're going for Clash of Champions? Yes, this is great news. This this is another thing that we sort of accidentally willed willed into existence last week and saying, you know, where are we, we going did. next we as we're yeah. getting closer toward the SmackDown to Fox launch and the idea that we hope that WWE is going to really amp up 
jack up, juice up, and really present the best possible product pushing forward. And by the way, there's some potential issues in that. I can't find the right DM that somebody sent me. But somebody had a question at him, and I'll get back to Rollins and Styles in a second. But a question about, so unnamed DM floater, I'm sorry, okay? But um, is is the booking going to suck now, between now and the launch of Fox, first week of October, because WWE won't really know which direction to go, and we got another Saudi showdown coming up. No, it was Black Saber Junior who floated that question to me. Do you have any? Fears I don't. I, that... I don't understand the question. Why would it? Why would the booking suck? That... I mean, other than normal WWE, but why would that? I yeah, let me it. let me let me do this the proper way. You ever hear this guy Black Saber Junior could have been on the Mount Rushmore? Um, good guy. Sounds sounds familiar to me. Believe you prevented him from being on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it was not because of the color of his skin. This guy is a fantastic fellow in our in our family. He's on. He might are you be saying on it. it was because? Are you saying it was because of the content of his character? Uh, no, no. It's <laughs> it, it, look. There's there's a lot of people shooting their shot. All right. It came down. There are. You know, there are. He says is there a worry that despite all the best intentions WWE is, are there's there worry in a holding pattern until Fox and Blood Money in the Sand Four, aka Jetta Judgment Day? I know we're seeing some new faces get shine, but typically isn't that what WWE does in between their tent poles after which the shine goes right back to their made guys and legends. Case in point, the debut Fox show already being billed as a reunion. I wanted to kind of pair this all together before I give you my AJ Seth take. That Fox thing is something they're big, they're building up for. There's you kind of nailed something last on the, on the, reaction show of okay maybe smackdown kind of blue because uh i'm sorry maybe SummerSlam kind of under delivered blue would be a bad word maybe under delivered to its expectations because we're resetting the roster we've seen the results of that reset this week aj and in seth is a great start to that but do you have any fear now they've got their next thing that they're aiming towards that we're just going to kind of keep punting the next few weeks until we get there no, I mean, they need to build towards it. You don't build towards uh, the first week of October by forgetting the entire month of August. You have to use this time to build towards it. So I have no concerns about that. Also, let's not forget, it's not like all of WWE is going to Fox. SmackDown's going to Fox, right? So yeah, they do want to make both shows good because they want you interested in their overall product. But SmackDown is really the show that needs to get built specifically for Fox. Raw is going to stay on the USA Network. Yes, their new contract begins, and I'm sure they'll be under pressure to get back to that 3 million rating. But I have no concerns about any of that. The bigger concern is just, is the is it going to be good? But, and the, I think, but when we say Fox, though, we also mean AEW launching and they're getting a weekly show on FS1. No, I mean, I think they are on the path. Like, I don't know when he sent that DM, but Monday and Tuesday night told me they're good. Like, the truth is, I said this Tuesday night, I think. WWE can do, or maybe I said it Monday, WWE can do the uh, Alexander match and that Murphy match. Not the same ones, not the same people, but they can do that quality of match every week if they want to. All right. But they, have then, the horse, they have the horses, BC. It's a little disappointing, though, the news that the first SmackDown episode will be a, what is it, a 200th episode? I would, two, two what, millionth no, anniversary. it's a 20th, 
20th anniversary just after they had the thousandth episode. Because here's the deal. Just a year ago, we did Raw 25 and it underdelivered, and then we rushed out SmackDown's 1 millionth episode or whatever the hell it was. Who cares? That honestly. wasn't bad, though. That wasn't bad. That wasn't though. bad, but it was gratuitous to run that out right after Raw 25 when they put so much into marketing it. Dude, we legitimately had six guests on our podcast leading up to that, just previewing Raw 25, and then they laid an egg. And then they come out and rush their most recent Raw reunion, which we find out through the dirt sheets, not the not the bed sheets, that it's just a kind of gratuitous USA Network saying, hey, I need you to spike the ratings. Adam, this is going back to the well way too soon to make the opening night launch of Fox and SmackDown on it. Another reunion show in which you're advertising people like Hulk Hogan and other legends when Adam... Isn't the idea of going mainstream on Fox to start a new era for WWE, to maybe start a new era for pro wrestling? It's time to really put the focus on new in new era. There's no lack of horses right now. You got Roman Reigns. You got Seth Rollins. You got a still end of his prime AJ Styles, and that's just three guys. You got another nine more of absolute top-end studs. I'm a little fearful that for no reason we're going back into the Steve Austin Hulk Hogan pool. You can argue it's just good seasoning to put on your plate to hook the Laps fans to launch on Fox and have Stone Cold standing there. I get that. But as we're talking about BC, how excited are you that it's going to be AJ and Seth I want to make sure that those guys are actually getting the push once we go to national television and that we're not keep going back to the well with this crap. And I'm the old school nostalgic guy who, if you're telling me the NWO is going to walk out in the black and white T-shirt like they did in that Sting Triple H match in 31, I'm going to be fired up. But at some point, we just got to go full bore forward and say, this is who we are. Let's make the next rock in Austin. Let's let Seth and, and Roman be that. I don't know. I, I don't I don't really have the concerns about the 20th anniversary show that I maybe should. Maybe it's because I know that the SmackDown deal is so big that I have to trust that they're going to they're planning so far in advance that they're going to do it right. I don't I think Raw 25 is very different than let's just call it SmackDown 20 because they're not just trying to put over that the show's been on 20 years, they're also trying to say, hey, we're debuting on Fox, and again, this is two days before Hell in a Cell, which just makes the date insane to me. Like, I don't know why they're not debuting the following week. Maybe it was the USA contract. I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know why you would schedule your first SmackDown on a new network Two days before a pay per view, it, it just, just so happens doesn't to be the make same sense. And then I don't know, Brian. And then I don't know why you're doing the 20th anniversary on that show. You should be doing it the following week, if anything. Use that as a go home show. So I don't know. I'm putting enough trust in them, especially after what we saw Monday and Tuesday night. I'm putting enough trust in them that they realize, yeah, the 20th anniversary is a hook. It's it's on broadcast television. We're going to advertise guys like Flair and Lesnar and names that people know to get them watching, and then we're going to give them a current day really good product. All right. I That's hope. the hope. The reason why this all ties into you asking me about Styles and Rollins is this, Adam. For as much as they gave us things we had lusted for on Monday and Tuesday night, 
I really did not like the way both shows ended, and specific, and they kind of ended the same way, if you want to argue, and specifically Raw. Like, how freaking low-hanging fruit predictable was it that when you advertise an AJ Styles-Seth Rollins champion versus champion match, that it's not, it's not going to end clean? Okay. Maybe it's not supposed to end clean. But it was so obvious that it wasn't, and then not only does it not end clean because Seth gets attacked by the OC in, again, really such a predictable way. But now we're rolling out Braun Strowman's return and suddenly good guy Ricochet's coming out to get Seth's back when it doesn't really make sense. And then they're all kind of standing at the end as best buds and Braun's pushing the belt to Seth. And do you know what that showed me? That showed me the spirit of Black Saber Jr.'s question, which is why I asked Uh, it, of do they actually have anything for this AJ Seth Rollins story, or do they just know that that's the next big feud? So while we wait, guess what you're going to get next week, guys? For this week, you got a smudge ending, and next week you're going to get a six-man tag match of the OC against Rico, Braun, and Seth. Not because Seth and Braun make any sense, not because we have plans to turn Strowman heel against Seth, but just because we had nothing else for him and we got a bridge toward next week. That's my fear, Adam. Roll that up tightly, spark it, and smoke it to the dome, brother, because it's legitimate. We may get that six-man tag, but they've announced Braun versus Styles for the U.S. Championship. Next week. Next week. So my guess is if they don't go six-man, uh, you know, with interfere, you know, someone disqualifies, they all run out, then they turn a title match into a six-man tag, typical. If they don't do that, they legitimately could have Braun finally win a singles title, take it off Styles, which frees up Styles for a Seth Rollins run as the challenger for the Universal Championship. So I think, you, I think you're being overly pessimistic here. Um, I didn't have an issue. Uh, Ricochet has clear problems with the OC and Styles, so it made complete sense for him to go out. It did make zero sense for Braun to go out, especially after the week two weeks ago, we saw Maria like questioning his manhood Yes. And he did nothing with that. Now he's back out. So the Braun part didn't make sense. The ricochet part was fine. Um, but I also don't have a problem with Braun doing that because he's not the first big guy. Show has done this. Undertaker's done it in the past. Where like they show that I respect you as champion, but that doesn't mean I'm not coming after you in the future. So I, I didn't have an issue with that. I don't know. It just the crowd loved it, Brian. Dude, Brian, the crowd loved it. Like at some point, that doesn't. Like, but again, we nitpick so much. Sometimes we just got to say the crowd liked it. Good for them. You know Adam, what I mean? That's not a representative, though, of whether the the booking made sense or the story was good. The crowd's going to pop. We're going to get everything our way. Anybody they love to run in. All right, and I'm not trying to turn this negative, Nancy. I'm not trying to get you all upset. I'm not trying to bring you down from this cloud because Adam, I know. I know how long it took you to find out what you need. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Debbie Downer to Monday Night Raw. But uh, I just want to be careful that they have a plan from now until Fox. Because, again, it's not just SmackDown going to Fox. It's taking this genre of men in tights, and it's making it legitimate on primetime network television, Adam. And uh, you know this, man. The far, <laughs> the far bigger issue is not do they have a plan to get this to Fox. It's do they have a plan for October or November 2019. That's what concerns me more is once they get on Fox, are they going to be able to maintain the audience that they generate in week one? And that is really what is most important. And that is why even going with a Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan angle now 
says to me, man, I really hope they can make it last if that's the angle because that is a money angle on Fox. Yes. And I don't know that we're going to get it that far out. So we'll see, BC. But look, we do have a lot more to talk about here. Quick, couple quick WWE notes. That first one was supposed to be quick. It took another main event status there. Uh, Andrade beat Rey Mysterio 2-0 in a best of three falls match. And Mysterio, I don't know if you fully heard the promo, but he did this weird promo backstage where he contemplated his future and asked, I don't know really what my future is here. And you know what? I think fans feel the same way. We don't really know what Rey Mysterio is doing in WWE because WWE hasn't booked him in anything meaningful since he rejoined them. I, this worked for me in a major way. I agree with you because they they have almost exclusively jobbed him out. So this was the right necessary step to go. You know the 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 torn nature between he realizes his character in his in kayfabe he realizes he doesn't have it anymore. Have it at that elite at, level. Yeah, but he also realizes while putting Andrade over big. Yeah, he also realizes I got to provide for my family. So if they if they actually have something here, this is interesting. I'm I'm with that. I'm I'm definitely with that. All right, Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon continuing their feud with a $100,000 fine and KO cutting a extreme babyface promo, hero or zero? It's absolute zero. This was so freaking lame. They are beginning to develop X-Pac heat here. The very beginning, like the smell. Like when, you know when um uh, when you're on a plane and everybody, everybody stands up right away when it lands and the lights come on? And then somebody inevitably like it issues their pants, just lets it go. Like they've been waiting, <laughs> they've been waiting for it. And you get that first whiff, like four rows away. And you're like, Oh God, that happened this week, Adam. The crowd hated it. I mean, they didn't hate it because they just hated Shane. It was legitimately bad. And for some reason, WWE does not understand that in the year of our Lord, 2019, Finding a wrestler is meaningless because we don't know what they make, right? So if, if we knew Owens made $400,000 a year and he's finding him $100,000, okay, right? Like when the NFL finds Antonio Brown fifty grand, we are like, oh, yeah, but he makes $17 million. Yeah, well, so, here's the deal on so it's that. All, it's a joke, right? Well, so so if you're, if you're going to find him hundred grand, it's like, okay, fine. They did this with Braun Strowman. They find Braun Strowman and we're just like – Okay, good job, Vince. Like, we don't know what that means. So why are you going back to that? It was so terrible. Well, not only that, but Kevin Owens, to be honest with you, responded like a bitch to it. And yes. you yes. can't have him be Stone Cold Steve Austin one week and wear a shirt that says Stun Austin Stun and be this Owens. fake rattlesnake, this fake Canadian rattlesnake. I don't think they have rattlesnakes in Canada, to be honest with you, even though, again, I can do... Quebec on Quebec crime because those are where my people come from but you can't be that and then the next week be a bitch so yeah we're this feud I thought it was over guys okay if Shane's in the black cape telling he fooled us all about Roman that's fine but can we end this please it it makes no sense for them have to to have continued this uh what is your stance speaking of Quebec did I say it you're my people all right keep it up okay Speaking of that, uh, where do you stand on – let's talk French fries. Uh, two things. How, where do you stand on poutine and where do you stand on mayonnaise or French fries? I, I stand over both like like a tea bag because that's that's the consistency of it and it tastes so good. It's a little bit gross, but it's fantastic at the same time. It's You're talking about of, both? Yeah. Yeah. You like mayonnaise with French fries? I've had it in Montreal and it was fan friggin' tastic Yes. 
And Poutine's so, just a sloppy adult film in a plate. It's great. I, this is this, this is where I stand. I will never order poutine. But if someone else orders poutine, I'll get a couple forkfuls and I'll enjoy it. You is know that what I mean? Like, like you trying to say I'll never uh, subscribe to foot fetish adult films, but if somebody else left it behind, I'll watch it. Is that really what you're saying? No, that I would not do. But for poutine, I would dip the fork in a little bit of taste. French fries and mayonnaise. I could not think of a more disgusting condiment to eat with French fries. There are myriad condiments. I mean, I'm not even a big ketchup fan, but ketchup, barbecue sauce, my favorite, honey mustard. There's a million things you can eat with French fries. Why would you choose mayonnaise? Uh, Because it's great. I'm a monster condiment fan, and one of the best accidental condiments, and I hear they are now making this together in a bottle, is the the intersection between ketchup and mayo. It's almost as good as the intersection between ketchup and honey mustard. So, yeah. Wait, wait. the intersection between ketchup and honey mustard? Have you ever not had on your plate at home – chicken fingers, chicken nuggets, whatever, and you went to the fridge to grab condiments, and you're like, you know what? I don't feel like just one thing. So you squirt a giant-ass pile of ketchup, and next to it a giant-ass pile of mayo and or barbecue sauce and or honey mustard, and then inevitably what happens as you're dipping at them is they they consummate. Like us in that two-night stand with Sasha, they consummate. Like Sasha the dog and Buddy Murphy, they consummate. And the results are spectacular. I feel, I've legitimately never heard of a ketchup, honey mustard consummation. Now, if you get me a honey – first of all, honey mustard, let's just make it clear, or at least I'm going to say this right now. The best condiment ever. Number one. Honey mustard in the fantastic. It's Number the, one. You know what it is? It's kind of the hot tub of new home perks. <laughs> Would you go that yes. far? It, it marinates the greatness of mustard with the sweetness of the honey. If you make it right in theory, there is mayo in there, but honey mustard is number one. Now, I have had intersections of honey mustard and barbecue sauce. Delicious. Never with ketchup. I find ketchup, let's be fair, pretty overrated when you consider the array oh, of co- condiments that, that you can choose it. from. You know what that's like saying? Yeah. That's like saying, like, you know, to be really honest with you, pizza's actually kind of overrated. Like, God, good Lord. Like, I oxygen's I mean, I'm not saying overrated. That. Like, what I'm saying on. is, look, I, don't, I can't really think of something where I would choose to have ketchup if I had other options. Like a burger, I'd rather have barbecue sauce, get, right? Get, Chicken fingers, I'd rather have Adam, honey mustard. I, there's, I can't see a door on camera where you're sitting right now, but if there is one, get the hell out of there. I mean, seriously? <laughs> I want to know something where ketchup is the pref- is the – by far best condiment for it. And I don't really know that there is. I think it's the most common uh, and most French versatile. fries, it's the best for it. It's clearly the best on beef. It's by far the best on beef. Um, it, it's really, it really works for almost everything. I won't put it I, on scrambled I, eggs, although I know people love that. That's where I do draw a line with just grossness. Um, I've done potato chips in it. I've put members of my, of my, of my limbs in it. Uh, you know, just really whatever, really whatever. Well, it first takes. of all, I think I think you go honey mustard with fries. I think you go uh, barbecue sauce with beef with a burger. But let me ask you. Um, do you remember when McDonald's way. chicken nuggets used to be like? absurdly cheap once a year. What was it? You get 30 for like uh Yeah, 9.99 or something no, like that. For, no, it was like 30 for like 4.90. There's something absurdly cheap. I used to buy two of them. I've eaten 60 nuggets in a sitting many times and I you and you it, I, sometimes I'd pre-do that by going to stop and shop and grabbing a bottle of ketchup, then going across the street to McDonald's, purchasing 60 nuggets and then going to town at them. 
let me tell you how to make ketchup better with chicken nuggets. Add honey, not honey mustard, regular honey. Fried chicken and chicken nuggets, domination. Here's the question. What do you eat on the hot dog? Oh, I'm I'm a ketchup guy, but I get that there's. Oh a, my god, I really? Get, yeah, I mean, my 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 dad believes it's sacrilege to put anything but mustard. But I'm not a straight it mustard is. pan. I'll I'll put mustard. Why are we talking about that? I'll put mustard and ketchup together. Really, the common denominator is ketchup is the greatest thing, Adam, that's ever been invented that you can put in your body. It is maybe outside is of Buddy Murphy. Hey, folks, it's the Silver King here. We had some brief audio issues that will only last for three minutes. So please bear with us as the normal high-quality audio will return shortly. It is versatile but not great. Let's get back to the show, BC. A couple more things on WWE before we finally move on. Uh, the Revival and Elias both won the 24-7 title uh, on Raw, I think it was. Yes, it definitely was. Uh, did you love that? Hate it? You know, where are you going here? It was all right. It moved, the, it moved it along. I liked the idea, which they didn't stay on long, of having a co-24-7 champion. When the Revival did that, that's interesting. This is a comic title right now that's a comic move i used to be interested in that the couple times they've teased that in recent years the idea of a team winning a co-championship we just recently saw that when uh nikki cross and alexa tried that which they lost and then ended up winning the tag titles so that was cool um yeah they're running out of tricks but it's fine i'm okay with it for meaningless title like 24 7 but for anything of legitimacy you just cannot do Anything like that, but I thought it well, was Well, you good. can, though, At Adam, because least. of the Freebird rule, you can. The Freebird rule changed everything, where obviously a tag team that has more than two people, any two could defend it at any time. It's, it, you know, like, that's kind of changed it for me. The New Day, all three are tag team champions, right? Like, Yeah, so, but that's for a tag team title. I know, but what's the difference three. between three men owning two belts and two men only owning one? It's, it's the same thing. Okay, well, last but not least, BC... We went through Raw and SmackDown without revisiting really the biggest moment on Sunday night, which was The Fiend. Now, our friend Nick Costos tweeted that it was a mistake for WWE to do it. Honestly, I think it was a great move. I think not the less we see of him, the better, but I think he should be infrequent and we should anticipate the arrival of Bray Wyatt and The Fiend every single show. We don't know whether we're going to get him or not, but when we do, it's awesome. So what side do you stand on? Were you upset? They didn't follow up in some way on one of those shows. Or are you like me and saying, you know what? It's okay. As long as we get him semi-regularly, it's a home run. Yeah, I mean, quality is better than quantity here. They've already showed you that they can do that by just doing the Easter egg reveals of, of the puppets in the background on weeks that they may not have had anything. And that's sort of better. It does make it – I mean, what, a, what was so great about Hulk Hogan? He barely showed up. He was almost never on regular TV, right? You had to go to the arena to see Hulk Hogan or order the paper, the quarterly pay-per-view to see him defend the title. There was, even though he was overexposed publicly in terms of merch, in terms of TV appearances, crossovers, and all that, it was an affair to see him show up and wrestle. So anytime you're doing that with anybody, you're automatically making it special. We've talked that, that there's times when Brock Lesnar feels that way when it makes sense when we haven't seen him in a while. So yes, keep this going all for it. Okay, BC enough WWE. We have more to talk about and we're going to start with new Japan pro wrestling G one climax 29 and my man, my prediction from the very beginning, Ibushi Kota beating Jay white in the finals 
Monday morning. BC, what did you think of the match? What did you think of the G1? Talk to me. Everything that you have to say, New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, it's crazy because this could have easily led the show. And it probably didn't because it doesn't have the same star power this year from the idea of Omega, Okada in the past. And and it's got guys we want to see, but not that same level. But this absolutely, totally delivered on every level I would have wanted it to. This final in particular, we've talked about who Jay White is. There were times that we didn't think, we thought they made a mistake giving this guy the push. Then his character caught up, and we're like, you know what? Maybe he's not the best wrestler ever, but he looks the damn part, and the swagger's there. The attention to detail in the character, the extra heel turn with Gato by his side added another layer to him. He got through a title run, wrestled against Okada, looked the part, but I think we still saw a built-in ceiling. Adam, you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's particularly in this G1 final, he took yet another leap. He worked the hell out of this match. Did it help, of course? They had arguably the, the best or second best wrestler in the world in Kota Ibushi to help him look that great, obviously. But in the elements of this match, and this match wasn't a, a straight traditional New Japan match. It kind of had some WWE elements to it, to be really honest. And I think you had to do that with Jay's limitations and his character. But he made a massive leap. This match was so well booked, Adam, and so well performed on both sides that I thought Jay White was going over the entire time. Even though the booking kind of made it obvious that it looked like Ibushi was going to be forced to come back against all odds. So it looked like they're holding him back in every sort of way. Attacked, injury, Gato gets his way back into the match, all this stuff. I'm waiting, waiting, waiting for Jay White to go over. And then he doesn't. And then they, you realize in that moment, or maybe I'm the only one who got worked, that they told that story perfectly. It is Kota Obushi's time to get this moment. I worked myself into a shoot thinking, you know what? They're going to go back to the well with Jay White. He is their new Kenny Omega. He is the guy they're doubling and tripling down down as that guy they think could get over with the North American audience the same way Kenny Omega did. Only they didn't do it, Adam. He already had his run with Okada. Finally, Kota Ibushi's character, Ibushi, had his moment. And when all that crap was coming down, the the streamers, the all that confetti and stuff, like... I popped for it. I popped for it in an organic way of like, look at this guy, the character, and look at this guy, the real man. He made it. He got to the mountaintop last year, but didn't go over in the G1 final against Ace Tanahashi. We always thought eventually he'll have his giant moment with Kenny Omega and they'll do a 15-star match. Maybe they will one day. This caught me off guard. The idea of him and Okada for the G1 I'm sorry, for the NJPW, sorry, let me take that back a third time. For the IWGP big strap at Wrestle Kingdom, I wouldn't have guessed marketing-wise that they'd go in that direction. But you know what? In Gato, we trust. This makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I think the moment I got swerved at him was when Naito did not win the block because when Dean Ambrose didn't win the block. We go, okay, we get it now. But I thought it was Naito all the way. And then Jay White gets the push. And I got worked into a shoot thinking 
they're going back to that damn well. And me getting worked played extra into the idea of really enjoying what was a spectacular match. No, it wasn't Omega Okada. It wasn't even Omega Tanahashi. It wasn't a five-star match. But it had five-star elements. Some of it was just that set in that arena was great. It felt as big as it needed to feel. And it didn't even have Omega, Tanahashi, or Okada in that match, or even Naito. Congrats to the two performers. I just said a lot. What do you got? Well, it's probably going to get five stars, first of all, because, you know, Tokyo Dome, G1, whatever. Um, wow. Actually, was it's not even – I'm just saying. I uh, actually may not have even been in the Tokyo Dome. I forgot where the finals are, but you get the point that I was making, the joke at least that I was making. Uh, it didn't shock me because, Brian, if we're being honest, from the first day we mentioned G1 Climax 29 – I've been telling you, Kota Ibushi is going to win and headline Wrestle Kingdom 14 against Okada for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And it's not some massive prediction. I used logic. This is the deal. He finally, finally signed officially with New Japan. He wins the Intercontinental Championship. Has the feud with Naito extended, right? Loses the title to Naito. Well, Naito wasn't going to win as as Intercontinental uh, Champion in the G1. So that set up a limited number of people to actually go after Okada. Okada could have been one. You know, he could have gone through it and won and then picked his own challenger. But what made the most sense from the beginning was Kota Ibushi finally getting the elevation that he truly deserves based on his in-ring ability and his overall wrestling talent to main event Wrestle Kingdom against Okada. He proved it the years prior. He proved it this year. The match with Okada in the finals of the A block, holy leap it was fantastic it was one of my top three matches on this show i mean in this tournament let me correct myself along with naito shingo and a couple others that were early in the first couple of days that were fantastic uh jay white best thing i can say about him is best few days i've ever seen from him he has improved so drastically even beyond the last time that we said that he improved drastically. I think the look has everything to do with it, to be honest. He's not this weird, like, single-colored human being. He has, like, texture to his face, and that gives him texture to his character. I loved the beginning of the match with the entire Bullet Club coming out. And, you know, you have Ibushi on his own. Omega's not there. He has no one to support him, right? The entire Bullet Club lining the ring, going against him, all against one. It really created this atmosphere of how the hell is this guy Ibushi going to get over and then you have Red Shoes playing an awesome role as a referee. Uh, yeah. First kicking out the rest of Bullet Club. Then, you know, having Gato there negotiating, saying, hey, allow they'll leave, allow me to stay at least, you know. Then kicking out Gato three seconds into the match and being a great referee, as Red Shoes always is. It was fantastic. Uh, the match, I agree with you, it was not five stars for me. Uh, Abushi Okada was like five and a quarter, maybe five and a half. It was so sick. I almost want to watch it again because I rushed as much as I could through the final three days because I knew I wanted to see the final semi-live, you know, a couple hours later. I didn't want to get spoiled. But it was fantastic, BC, um, to go on to beyond that final, beyond what we're getting at Wrestle Kingdom, the Juice-Moxley match in the B block, which eliminated Moxley from his opportunity to win the block was great. I think that's telling a great storyline to a third match, probably at Wrestle Kingdom for the United States Championship. Um, Naito and White was a good match. I don't know. It was a good G1. Not a great G1. People 
Meltzer in particular will probably come out and it may be his highest rated in terms of match quality ever. Or if it's not, it's going to be close. Um, and the matches were good, but in terms of my interest in it, it didn't compare to the last two years. This is strong style. This is Kota Ibushi. See, I think it did. So the only thing it didn't compare is having that extra layer of must-watch sexiness. It became a chore in some ways to watch this, not a chore in the same way that we were burnt out in prior years because we watched so much of it, but just that WWE was actually better during this G1 than they certainly were last year, which which kept the attention on them more. And again, this didn't have the Kenny Omega where it was like, man, I have to see it. But it also had Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, who you could singularly argue was the MVP of this tournament. His he, he just shined in a way. I mean, there was a lot of people that shined. Coda had a great tournament. Jay White had a great tournament. But Mox, Ishii had a great tournament. But Moxley was incredible. He was perfect in this tournament. Everything I saw, Adam, actually was great. It was just sort of bad timing and, and maybe that lack of extra sizzle that that pushed it this far back into our podcast today to even mention it. But I'm glad I got worked. I'm glad that I questioned whether they would go to this level with Ibushi. And this doesn't mean he goes over Okada. But if he does, and if there's potential to ever get Kenny back and do them, and I mean, there's a lot you can do this. I just thought with his age and with his mercurial nature of like, never really wanting to sign with one company, I didn't think they'd give him the push into the final. But I'm glad they did because... He's freaking amazing, Adam. The story he told physically of coming back from the injuries and winning this match against all odds, it it really was beautiful. And that's what NJPW and Gato does so well of just jerking your heartstrings and just in the simplest way. And in, in you know, and obviously Paul Levesque does a great sense of that in in NXT. It just strips it down to the most basic element of what it is in, in the story of good and bad and overcoming and making it feel like a sporting event and making it feel like an accomplishment when you get to the end and you get your hand raised. And that's why when they do that pomp and circumstance afterwards, it feels so real because some of it is because that's an insane endurance test for them to get to. And because they don't throw out booking so easily to people. It's no 50-50 booking. When you get to this spot and you're Kota Ibushi, it matters to you personally. He put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get his character to this point. And that's part of the beautiful nature of what NJPW is. And yes, I wish it could be my, my steady. I wish it could be my every day. I wish it was in my face like WWE. And if you made me choose, I'm telling you I would choose Japanese steak, Adam. And I would. I thought you were about to go. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl. If I did, I would call her. Uh, no, you're right. It, it was great. Um, I just, maybe the sexiness wasn't there for me without Omega. The lure to ensure I didn't miss a moment. Uh, and I, I said this before, not that not having Suzuki really mattered, even though I like him a lot. It just felt like the blocks it felt like there were a lot of names there who I knew would not win. Like I kind of knew Moxley wouldn't win, even though I was excited to have him and his matches were good, but like Jeff Cobb and bad luck Fale and I just go to even people thought he might win, but I, I knew it was going to come down to like wh- one out of three guys. And you even thought juice was going to win. I knew he wasn't going to win. Well, he is so, a top 10 wrestler for- in the world. I was just being honest, Adam. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for me, it was always just kind of, 
I expected Ibushi to win that, or Okada to win that block. And then I expected either Jay White or Naito, probably. And that's ultimately what it was. The matches were very good. I'm not trying to poo-poo the G1. I'm simply saying the last two years were so phenomenal that to me it didn't live up to those. But it was still wholly entertaining. Yeah, and and, it, and you know Adam X Parsons. You know, remember that dude? He's, try, he's a he's I think he's a comedian, right? Do you know Adam X Parsons? He's trying apparently. I mean, he's he's a Rushmore guy. We know this guy, part of our family there. Um, I think I've I've got him on the soundboard somewhere there. Uh, Adam X, I'll have to look at that later. He says, um. G1 final was was hot friggin' fire. Solidifies Jay White as a star and a top heel with the potential to headline consistently as well as creates a compelling story to see if Ibushi can finally win the big one at Wrestle Kingdom. Easily a five-star match, he says, of White Ibushi. And Ibushi Okada has the potential to reach that seven-star plateau just like Omega Okada did. Oh, and NXT was tremendous and SummerSlam delivered a good, not great card I'm a happy wrestling fan right now. Adam X Parsons is also. Because you guys all know that I'm a rough writer. Thank you, Adam X. Um, one thing you touched on in there, <laughs> Adam. Uh, get that Adam faction rolling. Let's not push through that too quickly. The potential of what Abushi Okada can be. Part of, I think, why the why you're partially downtrodden. And I get it. Saying, maybe good, not great. I don't know. Just didn't. You know, it was great, but it didn't great. kick me in the uh, mud let me, flap. Let me, yeah, let me I'm, I'm not misquoting you. But great, I wanna not say, phenomenal. Great, I want to say phenomenal. this. Jay White reached another level, but Jay White's not Naito, Okada, Tanahashi, or Omega. So what does that mean? Someone capable of going beyond five stars. Someone capable of going to that circus carnival freak next level. I can't believe I've ever seen a wrestling match this good. Very few people have done that, Adam. That ability to get to that six, seven star territory. It's part of what we love so freaking much about this promotion. And part of that was what Omega brought to it, certainly. But Abushi Okada is everything that this promotion can be and everything as a potential match, even though I know that they had their match in the A Block final, but obviously they weren't going to the extreme level they will go at Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, Adam, we've said there's very few people who are actually physically capable of putting on the kind of theater that Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada did. You've got to agree with me that Ibushi is one of those very few in the world who when you match up the different combinations, this has seven-star potential. Like, it actually does. And if you say that about anybody else, it's almost sacrilege. Yeah, you're right. No question. Abushi Okada is the match that they had to make, and it's the match we're getting, and it's the match that we got a preview to. It's not too often that they allow a rematch almost coming out of Wrestle King, uh, of the G1 to be the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. But Okada Abushi was so damn great that it says to me, "What the hell are they going to do?" You know, five months from now, and I am exceedingly excited and i to wonder see what, what they're gonna do Game. for the co-main event that is meant to pull in the crossover fans like we saw omega jericho in the past can we get johnny be good moxley in that spot can we bring back kenny omega it's going to be interesting to see what they have up their sleeve because certainly abushi okada 
will will grab the smarks and the hardcores. It'll grab the Japanese base, but can that grab the the American mainstream wrestling fan like some of the Omega matches have? It'd be interesting. They got to be able well, to pull in a, a a separate dance partner. Well, I do think there's the opportunity for them to go, obviously go Moxley Juice, as I mentioned earlier, for the U.S. title. That's not as sexy as a main event, obviously. Uh, and they did it at one point kind of have Jericho go after Tanahashi. So maybe they do bring Jericho in to do Tanahashi. The question, as you said, BC, can they get Omega in there? Apparently the door is open. We just don't know if that's actually going to – if he's going to step through it in year one of AEW. Maybe it's something just he waits a little bit, stays exclusive to them, and – Further down the line makes that move. But okay, enough of NGPW. We got well, to get out of here. One final thing on NGPW. We don't want to go long, but we obviously saw what happened with Shibata coming back and, oh, that's and right. attacking. That's right. And I don't have long analysis on that, but I hope he's medically cleared to be doing this stuff. The same sort of thing that a lot of people talked about when Edge. Yeah, the same Edge we don't that we don't love. Edge screwed Edge on this podcast. He came back at SummerSlam and had a little mini moment with Elias. And we're like, you know, you brought up, is he medically cleared to even do that? Should Shibata be medically cleared to be attacking uh, Kenta like that? I'm not even sure, but it was good to see him back. But I was a little like, I don't know. Apparently, he's not medically cleared to compete, but he was to do that. And I don't know. I When I saw him come out and he kind of pushed them away and stuff, I was like, okay, that's good enough. I figured maybe they kick him in the stomach or something and push him out of the ring. But for him to do that many offensive moves... And for then to get beat down and have uh, Kenta sit on his chest the way he did in his own Shibata style, I was really surprised. And apparently he's not going to compete, and apparently this isn't going to continue. It was just a way to get Kenta over as a heel and him joining the Bullet Club. But I don't know. It it did bother me. It did make me think, I'm not sure what's happening. Yeah, me too. Uh, Even though it was a good moment, it it, it left me a little weird. It it was a shaka indeed. Thank you, Kevin Kelly. All right, what else you got, Adam? Right. You got anything else for me? Just NXT TakeOver Toronto, BC, that we touched on very briefly in our SummerSlam instant analysis, but we really didn't get into. And we'll lead off, obviously, with Adam Cole beating Johnny Gargano 2-1 to one in the best of three falls match. The falls were a wrestling match, a street fight, and then a weapon-filled steel cage with no escape. Um you liked this match more than I did, so why don't you go tell me why? Yeah, this is a five-star match, and and if you didn't like it as much as you liked one or two, that's fine. But they're very different matches, and that's part of why this rivalry was such a pleasant surprise. That's part of why I don't think it's hyperbole to say this is one of those trilogies, one of those feuds that now belongs in that upper room, at least in modern history that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, because the quality is insane. And this match that ended Toronto, I mean, each fall was just so drastically different. And that was really the only way they were, they had an uphill battle to not only make another five-star match, but to make two out of three falls, considering the first match was also two out of three falls, feel special feel like it wasn't just going back to the well and they really did that and i know people didn't love the weapons and didn't love that they cut off the barbed wire but then didn't use it and you know should they have fallen off like that it didn't seem kind of forced like they both jumped i get that but there was intensity and drama in that match and the fall was great and cole happened to be on top and it kind of bails out gargano from like he lost but 
he lost fighting his way out and he didn't really kind of like cleanly lose. He kind of lost by accident. And that kind of keeps that open storyline going for when Gargano eventually climbs, finally climbs the mountaintop for real, not by winning the vacant title against Cole, even though that was one of the best matches of all time in WrestleMania weekend, but finally does it against Ciampa, which is the consummation station of that greatest story ever told 2.0. Um, I don't see how you could exit this match, even with a couple little nitpicks, and just not be like, thank you. That was five stars. You invaded all five of my personal senses and orifices. I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was a great match. Um, The anticipation that was building from our special NXT podcast, from speaking to both of those guys and getting super amped up when we previewed this, had me expecting something that would rival a six-star type of match. And I'm not downgrading it because it didn't get there, and it didn't even come close to that. But what I didn't like from the match was, honestly, the falls. I didn't like the results of each of the three individual matches. The in-between work I thought was great. But you have the first fall end with... Gargano, the face, getting purposely disqualified a la Brock Lesnar in that match against, in the Iron Man match against Kurt Angle back on SmackDown in like 2000 or 2002. You have him purposely get disqualified by hitting Cole with a chair so early in the match that it didn't make sense. It said to me, like, why in any reasoning did Gargano not think he could beat him in a wrestling match 20 minutes in? That he's like, you know what? Let's just get to the second fall. So the the psychology there didn't make sense. Then to get disqualified by hitting him with a chair and not waiting for the bell to ring and then continuously pounding him over and over and over again with the chair and then pinning him to get the second fall to even it up to force the third didn't make sense. They then had, after that, Johnny sat in the chair in the middle of the ring, waited for Cole to like regain himself. They brawled out into the crowd. Cole got an upper hand for a period of time. They finally got back in the ring, and then he submitted him. And it was like, okay. And then they bring the third, you know, fall the the third stipulation down, which had already been announced earlier in the show. So to me, that ruined the surprise element. And not just that, I didn't think it was a good stipulation. I understand the idea that it's a structure of no escape. It has to get finished in here. But it's not like their prior matches included them escaping all over the arena the only time they ever brought that into existence was the previous fall the street fight when they went out into the crowd for five minutes and circled right back into the ring so then they have this structure and yeah they had the weapons on it everywhere but you know that every time they do that in such a match it consists of them having to use every single weapon and setting up tables for one epic spot then he takes the bag and he brings it down and you're like oh my god they're going with thumbtacks which really would have been right in the face of AEW after you know Moxley and Janela just did that, right? But then they, he he drops it out, and it's handcuffs and a wire cutter. And it's just like, that's demoralizing a little bit. And then they have the finish, which was a good spot. But to me, to end an epic three-match rivalry that includes two of the greatest ever matches in WWE history with a kind of a little bit botched table spot, and someone flinging their arm over the other guy, it didn't do anything for Cole. I didn't think it did anything for Gargano. 
And for a match that I had expectations would at least meet or exceed their prior ones, I thought it fell below both. And because of that, I kind of sit at this 4.75 type of rating. If it's five, it's if you give it a five, if someone else gives it a five, if someone gives it a 4.5, I'm not going to argue with any of those. It was a great match. But for all the reasons I just told you, it didn't come close to their first two. All right. The tone of what you're saying makes me want to attack you and say, you know, that's like complaining about the quality of the plate they serve the steak on. But I do get and, and can sympathize with with specifically the some of the psychological decisions there and the need to go to the cage. And, and look, it's 2019. If you're doing a cage weapons match and there's no blood whatsoever, and I know Cole accidentally hard weighed his back on that giant fall. You know, that to me is like, come on, how, how are you not having Bru- somebody do some form of blood there? It's a weapons match to end the third fall of an epic feud. So I get that. I do think they made up for it, though, in entertainment, the escalation of drama, and then the giant spot to end it. And you can call it bots, you can call it a lot of things, but the, I mean, I was at the edge of my friggin' seat. So. Yeah, compared to the first two matches in their feud, there were holes. But they threw so much color on there. Color's the wrong word because it insinuates blood. They threw so much color on it, though, where I was just so enthralled and entertained and it was so different than the first two that it can still meet five stars and still be a slight disappointment from its overall potential. I just don't know for that third fall why you don't go with just simplicity, right? It's a ladder match. It's, you know, I don't know. There's so many other ways. A last man standing. There's so many other things you can do. Like last man standing is a definitive end of a feud, an I quit match. Yeah, but it's the a problem definitive is you, end of a feud. You did last man standing with Ciampa and... I know, but they just did two out of three falls of the prior match. They I had. know, but they didn't do cage with weapons. So you got to understand what they're talking about, Adam, because if they came out and gave us a ladder match or, or whatever, and it looked like more like a regular match and it looked more like the first two matches, we would sit in here going, you know what? It had a little bit too much of the first two matches in. I'm going to give it four and a half stars because it was dramatic, but I'm almost it's- glad that they're like, look, we have to be so friggin' different. That, that's why I like the differentiation. I like that they brawled in the second fall outside the ring. And I like that the third fall was completely different. It was in a cage. That was their only way, I think, to get to five stars. And they did, right, in my you, eyes. So, oh, really? Oh, is that is that the case, Brian? Did you really care that Okada, Omega, three, one, two, three, and 4 were all wrestling matches? Yeah, but there's a difference, though. I think the Omega and Okada have a much higher ceiling on the ability to do that, where I was shocked that Gargano and Cole were able to basically give a five-plus star, almost six-star match the first time around. Like, they so far overachieved, in my mind, that it was like, okay, what are they going to do in the sequel? And then the second one, good God, it was a damn fantastic wrestling match with drama. I think they just sort of ran out of tricks in that department, whereas Omega Okada, I mean, the athleticism is, is double what those guys can do. Well, I, I think I would have preferred a solid psychological, meaning no holes, no flaws, regular wrestling match or a more simplified stipulation match than a heavily psychologically flawed 
match, which I felt this was. It took away from the greatness of the rest of the match. I'm not saying the match wasn't good. It was a great match. But all the flaws I just pointed out, they were so numerous that the entire time I was so focused on like, wait, why are they doing why isn't he still beating him? Why did he get disqualified to not just keep beating him with the chair to then pin him? Like if they wanted to do that and they just wanted to fast forward to the third fall, I would have been totally fine with that booking. But they didn't do it. And it's just it for I heard other people without naming names call it overindulgent. I don't believe it was overindulgent. I think they almost tried too hard. I think they got in their own way booking this match. Let me meet you in the middle. Let's settle it right here. We love the Rocky series. The best movie in the Rocky series in terms of an actual movie, in terms of actual art form, in terms of sticking to the script of what a great movie is, is certainly the first one. It won a damn Oscar. Like, it's a classic, as was the first Cole Gargano. But in order to keep a series going that and keep people interested and keep the quality the same across the way, you've got to evolve and do different things. And obviously, by the time we got to Rocky Four, it was like a ish show over the top 80s action movie only. It was like what the best possible version. It was like Commando in a boxing movie. It was like so friggin over the top that it was great. This is kind of no different, Adam. They went the entertainment route, and they hit a damn near five-star slam dunk. So, well done. Yeah, I think if you want to call the first two Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, and you want to call this one Rocky 4, I am fine with that. It definitely was not Rocky 5. It was way better than Rocky 5. It was Rocky 4 to me. Still good. We'll watch it again. We'll enjoy it every time I see it. But when I really want to watch Rocky... I'm going to watch Rocky 1 or Rocky 2. Adam, i got to read you a DM slide that this makes me the happiest of any kind of DM slides. Because here's the deal, Adam. You and I do this show because we love it, right? I love the feedback from the fans. I love do it, feeling like I'm doing it for the fans. But obviously there's other elements to it. We're getting paid. We get great access to pro wrestling. Um, we get to develop ourselves as characters and Twitter profiles and all that stuff. But the core of why we do this, Adam, is because we love this freaking thing so much. That's why I befriend some of these listeners. That's why I've met them, some of them in person and text them. Like, it's a brotherhood. So the idea of us being so excited about something that we love that we pa- are able to pass it on to somebody else who may not have been woke on that is really what this is all about. Yeah, we're the hosts of this podcast, but we're creepy weirdos just like every one of our other listeners here. So we got a DM from, I don't think you've ever heard of this bloke, Lee Hunt at Eternal Lee HD. No? Nope. New member of our family. Hey, BC, greetings from England. Love your work on State of Combat. Due to the time difference, WWE is tough to keep up with over here. The pay-per-views tend to run from midnight to 3 a.m. But while I try to watch on the network, I'll be honest, that I love yours and the Silver King's bickerings that keep me up to date. I want to <laughs> talk about the stake, though. Without realizing it, while watching WWE main roster programming and pay-per-views, I've been dining the last few years on rump steak with ketchup, mindlessly telling myself it was good. Adam, what's a rump steak? Is that a British thing? No, rump is like the uh, ass. Oh, oh, good point, good point. Back to the DM. After all you're talking about NXT, 
I took my first step into the brave new world on Saturday night, staying up until well past 3 a.m. to watch TakeOver Toronto. And man, that was meat. That was purebred bona fide filet mignon meat with peppercorn sauce and hard hand-carved fries cooked to perfection. NXT is everything I've wanted from WWE for so long. Gargano and Cole's ability to take me on a journey was something I haven't experienced in years as a wrestling fan. And I'm ashamed in myself that I settled for main roster WWE for so long while all the time there was this incredible product just a couple taps away. So Adam, he goes on to ask us a question, which I don't necessarily want to get into about why so many NXT call-ups have gone wrong on the main roster. Uh, We've been up and down this road a million times, so... I'm not going to go there, Lee. But Lee Hunt, thank you for that DM. Adam, that makes me feel like job well done on a podcast like this. Because you know what? NXT is the damn stake. Like NJPWG1 is. And what we got on Saturday night with that Toronto card, I know some people are trying to get hipster you a little bit too and go, you know what? Not my favorite takeover card ever. Like pretty damn good, but not one of the best. No. It was freaking fantastic top to bottom. And I'm glad that we converted another person to wake up and go, you know what? It's not that Raw and SmackDown sucks. It's that it underachieves. But there's other stuff going on that kicks us right in that mud hole and reminds us what it actually felt like. So thank you, Lee Hunt. He says cheers to us. He's offering, Adam, I don't want to say on the air what this guy does for a living, but he's offering us samples of it. We can get to that offline, you and I, but... um. Shout out to Lee Hunt from England. <laughs> I'm in. Another, Maybe Amsterdam better than England, but yeah. I'm another happy converted customer. Absolutely. That's great. And we did actually got a DM also that uh, someone liked you. I forgot who it was, but one of our listeners likes you so much. They haven't watched wrestling in 20 years, but they listened to your boxing show and your MMA show. And they just started listening to our wrestling show and are now getting back into wrestling. So I think getting those back to back this week were Good uh, affirmations for BC and the Silver King here. Um, just to take your the point that you made during that conversation or during that um, reply at length, no, this was not my favorite takeover. Uh, this isn't a top five takeover to me. I don't think it even came close. And that's not to say it was bad. It was very good. It was entertaining. Borderline great. But takeovers have been so incredible, mind-numbingly incredible over the last two years or so that we're going to go through the rest of this card and I really don't think that you can tell me the rest of this card was great enough to elevate this to a top three takeover that we've ever seen. That's fine. It may come down to preference, and I'm not trying to necessarily tell you this is top three because we're talking about some of the greatest <laughs> shows WWE in general has put on in, in, in a decade. But I'm just going to say this felt like some of the best I've ever seen because it, these I, I pop for everything. Even that Mia Yim match. Mia Yim's not a title contender. I want nothing to do with her. Yet they told her personal story of her character so well, and then she cheated like balls during that match that I bought in. Adam, everything works on a takeover. It's perfect. Yeah, I think the match uh, the match over-delivered, no question, with Mia Yim. And I think that was an emblematic of the entire show. It, it delivered very well. It delivered to the extent that we expect for a takeover – it just didn't blow my socks off. And I don't right, think well, there's here's anything why I wrong my socks off. saying that. That women's title match overachieved where I had low expectations. The triple threat match with Velveteen Dream 
was as solid as I would have wanted. It, uh, yeah, it could have been better. It could have been five stars, but it was solid and entertained me. Solid. Very, But, very Adam, solid, yeah. you need one other match, seemingly, to push it over the top. Like, why do we love New Orleans so much? We've got the damn ladder match mixed with one, if not two other classics on there. Three five-star I, matches, one show. I, okay, and that's why that one is extra special and probably my first or second favorite takeover ever. But we had something very special on here in this Io Shirai Candice LeRae match where, like, not one star was born, two were. And this is arguably, Adam, and, I, and I've, we've used this bit of hyperbole a few times, but this time it, it matters. This is arguably the best WWE women's match of this modern era. Like, I mean that. It's on par with that ladder match with Nikki and Asuka and the stuff we saw between Sasha and Charlotte and any other top-shelf Ronda match you want to throw in there. Adam, this was uh, a hellaciously amazing surprise at how great this match was. It was operated on another ass level, like four and a half, four and a seven, five star level. It was amazing, and they gave him 15 minutes, and they shined. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. I think it was my, looking at the card, it was my favorite match on the card. And I don't mean it was the best match on the card, but it was my favorite without question uh, Larray was incredible. Um, Io Shirai, we've said it once, we've said it twice, we've said it a thousand times. Black leather pants, heel badass Io Shirai is the best. Io Shirai, it's maybe the quickest and best character change. I say quickest because I'm separating it from the fiend, which is probably the best character change I've ever seen. But the quickest and best character change I've ever seen so suddenly from one thing to another. Shirai is a total badass. She's everything Asuka was in NXT. Maybe more coming up in the near future. We will find out. It hit all the right notes. As you said, it got both of them over completely. And for a non-title women's match, which are exceedingly few and far between on NXT takeovers, it completely outshined the women's title match. The women's title match was fine. It over-delivered. This dominated the entire card. And it was... I'm really happy they put that Killian Dane Matt Riddle segment between this and the North American title match because as good as that North American title match was, four, four and a half stars, really, really solid. It never could have followed Shirai without a buffer. That's a great point right there. Like, I mean, like we give Candace credit. She played her role perfectly and she did sort of show you that like she's a legitimate badass potential to be in main event matches and give you like top quality women's work but man I cannot speak to the level of star that Io Shirai has the potential to be and I know people were like guys she was the best as a heel in Japan well I didn't watch her in Japan I knew of the legend I know the name I knew of her calling card coming in her pedigree but I didn't watch her before so to see that quick evolution like you mentioned I mean this is main roster top shelf women ready to be broken out. I cannot wait to see what's next for Io Shirai. It goes way beyond the leather pants. I would have been fine giving you a 20-minute breakdown on the leather pants. This goes way beyond that. There was something special that happened that night, and I think that's part of why I really love this card so much. When you mix what she did, you mix what Colin Gargano did with the final chapter, and then you add in some other overachieving elements. It's just a great-ass show. I just love everything that NXT does. Please go to regular TV. Please get in more people's lives. Please don't change when you go to regular TV. Please be everything I need you to be the rest of my life. In fact, Adam, if you told me I'm either going to give you NXT, but you got to give up Raw and SmackDown forever, I'm choosing NXT. Yourself? <laughs> I don't know. That's tough. I, I mean, I'd probably take NXT. If you, t if you guaranteed me NXT would stay at this level, 
forever. The problem with NXT is you can't really start loving anyone because they leave you. You know, they're always leaving. There's always a rotation every like for the big stars every 18 to 24 months. For everyone else, maybe they're there a little bit longer, but I want to tell you, you, you lose them. Quick. You lose your favorites and you don't see them often enough. I want right to tell now. you something real quick about that. It'll stop happening if they go to TV and do two hours right. live and become AEW's competition. And I think we heard that in the voices of Colin Gargano on our show last week. More from Johnny, who seemed to actually say it, but also from Cole, who seemed to imply it, that they kind of want to be here for not just longer, but maybe forever. And if this becomes the home for the guys that are a bit too small and they get national TV put, God, it's fantastic. By the way, I do love that every time like we talk about Io Shirai and how great she is or Asuka, we always get like one IM where someone's like, well, they were always great in stardom. You guys just didn't see it. Yeah, you're right. I didn't watch a Japanese women's only wrestling promotion for the last <laughs> 10 years. I'm sorry. Like, what, at least I appreciate that when they were signed, I went back and watched, the, watched their stuff and I recognized, wow, Asuka, Io Shirai, um, Tony Storm, and, uh, and uh, who am I missing? Kyrie Sane. Yeah, they are incredible and I'm so happy they're, they're on the main roster or on NXT and we give them the credit as being among the greatest women's wrestlers in the world. Yes, for the American audience, Becky resonates more because she speaks English and Charlotte has the flair name. And Sasha Banks is a total badass, right? But yeah, I recognize the greatness of Asuka. Brian and I, every week on this podcast, we want badass-suited Asuka as a singles competitor back on SmackDown. We want black leather pants, Io Shirai, just breaking necks and breaking skulls on NXT. This is what I want. I know what they did in stardom. I'm happy they were successful over there. I didn't get to see it. Now I do. So give me the stardom in the United States. I loved it. Only other match to talk about that we, we didn't touch on is that tag team match. Um, the Street Profits retaining against Undisputed Era. That was the surprise on the entire show. You could have told me every other match went the way it did. I would have nodded along with it. But the Profits retained on Raw. They're still doing their, hey, we're here to preview and recap the show for you with their NXT titles. What are they doing? Uh, it's a surprise, but I actually love it because I'm not even remotely tired of the act that they're doing as sort of like backstage observers on, on Raw. It not only promotes things, it's hilarious. The fact that they've introduced now Angela Dawkins being like thirsty for all these different women and in, 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 is in on the roster is hilarious. This is great. This was a great surprise because they're great wrestlers, but I don't want them to necessarily become afterthoughts on the main event on the on the main roster tag team scene so if it means keeping them here like uh you watch that match i watched that match and good god ford looks like superstar potential every he, time he wrestles yeah. so he has the same potential kofi did it at his age same potential uh, maybe, maybe more, more athletic better talker yeah better like, talker better talker indeed all right we gotta go that this show is too long that's it adam the interview's over we gotta go you got anything else you want to say before we shut this down no, but shout out to Angela Dawkins because we always talk about Montez Ford and Dawkins, the last two takeovers, last two big matches he's been in has been his best and he's getting better every single time. He's already great on the mic. He's just like a, a platform away from being 
close to Ford's level. Yes. Ford, though, yeah, huge superstar. Shout out to my good buddy Alex Walkuski, Naugatuck, Connecticut, in the house on this podcast as a listener. Sometimes it's the hardest people to get converted on your own podcast to your childhood friends. He finally came around. Now we can't get enough of this needle inside his arm. I went to, with him to an ECW house show back in 98. Changed our lives. Thank nice. you so much. All right. Uh, that's it for me this week for the Silver King at State of Combat. Check out our UFC 241 preview with a video YouTube component this week. Big week in the fight game. Um, that's about it, Adam. Just I'm just going to go home and just enjoy um, enjoy uh, all the stuff that they gave us this week. They, they, the, the pro wrestling gods listened to us. We spoke it into existence. We spoke it, believe it, and received it, like Deontay Wilder said. And it's been fantastic. And now, the interview is over. Okay, now say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Okay, now get out of here. That's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Wrestling is a rough sport. Yeah, that's it. We out.